we're doing our first episode of A Deeper Dive. I'm joined today with Ellie Bissett, who runs our Power On program. And today is Tuesday, February 4th. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Oh, um, yeah, so what are we, we going to chat about today? We are going to chat about Power On, the Power On program, and all of the ins and outs and fun stuff and how awesome it is to be able to offer it to centers across the country. Awesome. Well, let's dive in a little bit because I know that this is a program that you've worked on. Actually, well, you've worked on for quite a while. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But let's, yeah, where do you want to start? Um, well, I feel like we should start with the background and what it is. Um, I know you generally give the good way back background. Um, so if you wanted to do that, you can do that. And then I can talk about more recent history. Yeah, absolutely. I think, so Power On has definitely had some different iterations of the program. Uh... I think really because it was really started with no model in mind. There was zero, there was nothing for us to follow mm-hmm. out there. But we knew that, one, that there was a lot of outdated technology. And two, that there was a need within the LGBTQ community based on research done by Dr. Rice at UCLA um, that uh, actually ended up... Um, actually ended up creating quite a stir in the fact that uh, it was found that when LGBTQ individuals were found, were ended up homeless or ended up without supportive families, they actually pulled themselves up by the bootstraps on technology or gaining access to technology in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we kind of wanted to test that theory, and we weren't quite sure how to do it. Uh, So... We worked with a company called Cricket, Cricket Wireless, and they donated um, some money and some uh, service as well as uh, as well as some phones. And we were able to put 25 cell phones on the streets of D.C., where we then began to understand why technology or why a cell phone was important for someone who might be housing insecure, um, who may be facing various challenges. Uh, with homelessness um, uh, or just not being part of a supportive family. And I think that was really eye-opening. One, for me, it just opened up the ability for us to talk directly with individuals that were kind of going through this situation. Uh, One that I was very familiar with as a teenager, um, but one we also hear a lot about even today. I think we just came across a Washington Post story about a family who completely cut off ties with their mm-hmm. daughter who yep. was in college, cut off her phone yep. um, because she came out as a lesbian. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just, I think there's, it's hard to believe and hard hard to fathom that this is still a problem, uh, that, that individuals are still being cut off from family because of sexual orientation or gender identity, which... We all know no one has control over. Right. Um, and science has proven. Yes, science. People, <laughs> science. Um, but also in the fact that we have now learned that the 
a game changer for individuals is access to technology, especially as things move more and more online. I guess I would kind of flip the script and say, you know, in the last two or three years working on this program, it's evolved a lot. Like, what has been some of the milestones for you? Um, well, I know that one of one of the things that you discovered in the initial research was um, the need to have the local center or some sort of organization actually interfacing with the individuals as opposed to trying to manage that piece um you know from our end yeah and i think that's been um one of the biggest milestones i think over the past few years is just how many centers we've expanded to we're now in soon to be they're currently opening a few but once they're open we will be in 18 locations across 16 organizations in 17 locations or it might be 17 no (laughs) i can't remember but 18 physical spaces okay um across numerous organizations numerous states across the country from east coast to west coast north to south um and all of those centers have those relationships already with the youth and the other individuals that they're serving so having them able to manage that tech distribution process and um and just sort of be there on the ground building those relationships where we just sort of let them do their thing and we work our programs into what they already have going on um it's allowed us i think to expand that far and reach that many people because we're just focusing on this one part (laughs) of it we're not trying to manage all of the people and this phone's going to this person and did that person complete their requirements we just get to you know, work with the center to make it fit into their framework that they've established. Which I think is, I don't know, I'm torn on this, but, you know, I think one of the most rewarding parts of doing this work is actually getting to meet the individuals. Yes. I mean, that is, you know, right. every time we get to do it, it is amazing. Yeah. Um. So I think we, we try to every single time. And I think that's been... Uh, you know, what you're talking about is really making that impact and, and making that change in a way that a lot of times we may never see, right. quite frankly. Yep. Um, yeah. And, you know, but at the same time, with the number of centers we have and the fact that we're about to open the application process again for 2020, or it is open as of yesterday, February 3rd, um, I think that there's just no way that we could... We no. Could, <laughs> we could do we could wear <laughs> all of the hats and fill all the roles. So. We cannot be in eighteen places at once. Yes. So even though we don't get to see as much of the actual, you know, good stuff in person as we'd like to, you know, we know it's there. We know it's happening. But I think that goes to like one of the challenges is that we building it from the ground up, we we did figure out that one, we need to work with the local center, um, because they know their community best. Um but then we also recognized that there was an opportunity to really give uh, work with each center very specifically and mm-hmm. giving them tech that they really need right? and listening to them. Yeah. So when, when a center applies, they give us sort of um, a sense of what sort of technology they'd be looking for in the grant because um, it is technically it's, it's a grant program. Um, and then after they are accepted to the program assuming we accept them um we will then talk with them 
one-on-one and explore those needs more and figure out you know what an actual plan might look like for the upcoming few months or over the next year of incorporating the tech into the center um so yeah so working with them individually to figure out what their needs are that differ geographically or by the population they serve like for example we've historically worked with primarily or exclusively youth organizations until last year and then we added our first elders organization so obviously yay yay. (laughs) so their needs and their clients are obviously going to be very different than a much younger group of individuals so um, so it's kind of a learning process and we really rely on the centers and the people we work with to help us learn what's best for them because really at the end of the day we can provide the tech but they know what they really need. We can sort of help guide them along the way and make suggestions but the goal is really to make it useful for them. If we just start giving them stuff they don't need, that's that's not helpful Doesn't to anybody. <laughs> and so, every, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's hard to imagine that today in 2020 that there are individuals that may not necessarily know how to use the basic skills of a computer mm-hmm. um but there is oh yeah and they don't you know people would think maybe oh they live in rural or, and they make assumptions mm-hmm. but they're not like right. there's individuals that are living in large cities like new york yep. um that uh don't necessarily know how to use technology but yet so much is moving online right. um I think 2020 is the first year that the U.S. Census is going to be taken, uh, at least a portion online, or mm-hmm. you have the ability to fill it out online, which is a big deal yep. for all kinds of reasons that I'm not going to get into on this podcast, because you'll never get me off my soapbox. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, no. <laughs> um, but I think it is really important to make sure that we are incorporating all individuals mm-hmm. that, may, that may need access. So... I think, you know, for those centers that have applied before, I think it's important if you didn't get accepted to apply again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's constantly changing. Uh, I think we've got some really exciting updates for this year, actually. We do, yeah. Um, so in the spirit of trying to make the program as useful to as many centers and accessible to as many centers as possible, um, over the past couple of years, we've sort of reworked um, – the offerings that we have as well as the process for applying for those trying to make it easier for you know less of a grant and you know but still keeping up our um our standards and our requirements to make sure that the applicants are that we're choosing ultimately are qualified and are you know wait you mean that we actually listen to our applicants yes we do yes we do we read every single word of the application yes we do and we actually take it as feedback yes (laughs) yes no it's it's very much unlike most grants in that it really is a personal kind of experience and when somebody has a question or if one of our centers needs something they're literally just sending me an email like I am their go-to person and I'll usually ask Chris for his input but you know I'm I'm their contact it's not like they send an email to some generic email address or fill out a form no they're reaching out to me personally and these are relationships that we're building over the years with these people so and that's like if if you're listening to this whether you work for a company or you work for a nonprofit, or you work within government. Um, I think it's really important to understand. Like one of my biggest pet peeves, and you know this, Ellie. One of my biggest pet peeves is if if a nonprofit is going to take the time to fill out a grant application, 
the least you can do is provide feedback to Mm -hmm. them, listen to them, hear them, and make sure that the grant program is actually delivering what is in their needs, but Mm -hmm. also making sure that you're reaching them where they're at. So it's one thing that we preach in this community is like, make sure you're reaching people where they're at, not trying to force them to get to you. That's just, it's not necessarily going to work, especially when individuals are just going after food, shelter, water. But Mm -hmm. even when we're, if you're not meeting the organizations where they are and you're not providing feedback, then you're creating a lot of extra work and actually taking them away from the work that they're doing. Right. Um, so I think that's one important thing that I know I've harped on. Um, and I'm really glad that we've continued to, to make the edits to this. So what, what are the big changes that we've... So, yeah. So, um, so this year, like I said, the application opened yesterday, February 3rd, and it will remain open until, um... 11.59 p.m. Eastern on March 27th, so it's a solid two months or so. Um, this year, we have two different grant applications. We have a large grant and a small grant. Um, the large grant is sort of what's typically been the application over the past number of years with some minor changes, but it is sort of what it sounds like. It's a larger grant. It's either an ongoing relationship where you want to have technology consistently maybe you have a center where you're going to develop a tiered earning program incorporating technology as incentives to your clients as they complete different um programs or other um things within the center different ways of engaging with the center and we're not talking like tiered putting open as like they show up to one class and no. they get, yeah it is like we've put some very strict rules in place as far as and giving centers the ability to really drive attendance to their programs mm-hmm. for the long haul yeah um so i think that that's one thing that we've really been focusing on that. yeah yeah so that's um so if you have a tiered earning program or if you just want maybe say a 10 station computer lab for your center um something like that would be a large grant where it's more than five pieces of technology for either in-center use or for also distributing um, to individuals as well. And then the small grant application is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> it's for a small grant, which would be five or fewer pieces of te- excuse me of technology to be used in-center only. So not in a tiered earning program. It would be a small computer lab or a few laptops that people could come in and rent out while they're in the center to check email or, you know, do schoolwork, and then they'd return before they leave the building. Um, So those are the two options that we're offering this year. The large grant obviously has a lot more flexibility, and the small grant is much more pared down, but that enables us to hopefully grant more grants to more centers by giving centers a grant for something if they really just need one laptop for community use they can just apply for that small grant and then they're not necessarily competing with a center that might be asking for 25 laptops or you know 15 workstations and 30 printers or something you know it, it just helps separate them out and helps us reach more of them and i think that's important needs. to kind of highlight in the fact that we started really small and we were accepting uh, you know, all applications across the board. But I feel like this year, based on the numbers that we have coming in, mm-hmm. the people that are downloading, like that large grant application is going to be pretty competitive. I think so. Yes. I, I'm like, I think you really have to spell out and know what you're doing in the centers with the laptops, what the end goal is. 
which is, I don't want to scare anybody away, but I think it's really important to highlight that you really need to think it mm-hmm. out. Um, if you've applied before and not been accepted, um, it's that larger grant is just more competitive this it year is. based on the conversations we're having. Smaller grants are still competitive, right? Uh, very competitive, but um, I think that large grant's going to be... Yeah, I mean, at, at this point in the program, we have a lot of centers and we have a responsibility to make sure that our existing centers are well taken care of and have what they need, um, which means that we're you know, looking to be a little choosier, I think, going forward about who we can accept so that we can make sure that we're not accepting anyone whose needs we can't fulfill. We want to make sure everyone who's part of the program is getting what they need and what they've, um, you know, what they've been accepted for. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, I think it, it will be competitive. But like you said, just having a plan is really important. We don't just want to know you want five computers. We want to know exactly what you're going to do with them. Where are they going to be? Wait, you want a plan? A plan. <laughs> yes. I believe there's a part in the application called work plan or something. <laughs> so, yes. And more information about this will actually be available at our webinar that we're offering um, next week. This is something we started last year because the application is kind of long and it's a little confusing having the two different kinds plus the program itself is sort of constantly changing. So we thought it made sense to sort of do an informational webinar to help people figure out which grant to apply for, answer some FAQs. Um, and just give some program background. So we'll be hosting that again this year. It is going to be Wednesday, February 12th at noon Eastern. Um, and all the info about that and the link to register is on poweronprogram.org um, as well as a link to the grant application itself. So I think it's also really important to highlight that this is the only opportunity that you will have uh, to actually ask questions over with a live person over the phone right or like over a webinar Mm -hmm. in this type of facility after this webinar we do not take phone calls Mm -hmm. uh we take email submissions only um and that's just to make sure that the process uh stays fair Mm -hmm. um and that we're not interacting with a different you know particular center more than uh, another one we want to make sure that we uh, give everyone the same opportunity to apply uh, and make sure that um, everyone has the same opportunity to ask questions mm-hmm. in a public forum um, yeah. as well as the same uh, equal response. So yep. um, not to mention Ellie does not want her phone blowing up. All no, the time, so. I'm, I'm plenty busy without that. Thank <laughs> you. But I will, I will answer emails um, after the webinar if people have questions um but still definitely strongly recommend that even if you're interested in the teensiest bit or think you might consider applying definitely sign up for the webinar um and if you're unable to make the time that we are hosting it let me know and we can we can figure something out we want to make sure that as many people can access it as possible but we understand that there may be scheduling conflicts so let me know um, or shoot us a message through the Power On website if you'd like to attend, um, but just absolutely cannot at that time. So what are, as we're talking about this, what are some of the uh, kind of positive responses you've heard from centers over the year? Like what are, yeah. why are, why do centers care about this? Why do centers <laughs> continue to re-up from their own words? Like why, yeah. why are they coming back? Um, I mean, a number of reasons, but generally they're they're seeing a lot of, 
positive outcomes for their clients who are using the technology, either people getting jobs or getting into school or finding housing or reconnecting with family they've been out of touch with. Um, it's, you know, having a phone is really important. So some, you know, a smartphone for someone can really make a big difference. Um, same thing with a laptop or you know, a power bank so that if you're, if you commute a lot and your phone might be a little older and doesn't have a great battery, you can charge it and still access your email or your, um, you know, your voicemail on the go. So things like that, it just, it, it is really helping their clients to utilize all the resources that are available to them and the resources the center provides, um, and gives them that sense of security. Um, as well as I know that, one of our centers um, in Connecticut, when we first partnered with them about, it's coming up on two years, it'll be two years this summer, uh, one of the people, one of their staff was saying that some of their clients are homeless and when he needs to reach the client about, you know, a social work appointment or anything, he just doesn't have a way to get in touch with them because he doesn't know physically where they will be at any given time. So having a phone means he can give them a call or text them or you know they know they can text him and just it gives them that extra sense of security and that connection point to make sure that they are able to get to their appointments or that if a housing opportunity opens up that they're able to be notified of it right away um so it's it's just a lot of a lot of safety a lot of personal improvement a lot of just taking advantage of resources that most of us have and take for granted that um, that really aren't accessible without some sort of device or internet access. Absolutely. And I think above and beyond that, even with, I know I've spoken to youth who are doing homework uh, with our devices, who may have a supportive family, but just economically their family is just not as well off. Um, uh, you hear a lot of uh, you know agencies, especially the FCC, talk about this a lot, and the fact that there's a, there's a homework gap, there's a digital divide, individuals who are being assigned homework that they can they have to do online uh without a device it becomes a real problem and Mm -hmm. so it's it's we are it's digital equality um digital equity uh and ensuring that individuals can be connected even um if they have some barriers to that um so you know i think that uh i'm really excited about this year Mm -hmm. i think Uh, I know that the webinar signups are already like through the roof. Oh, it's, yeah, it's (laughs) a little bit insane. I did not expect this many people to sign up, but that's, I mean, it's great. And we're so, so excited. Um, so how else, okay, so if you're not a center and you're not looking to apply, how else can you support Power On? Um, well, there's a few ways. Um, individuals can support us through monetary donations, of course. We provide all brand new technology to our centers, so we have to buy that stuff. <laughs> and we, you know, we can work out some good deals and things like that, but it's not free. So any donations at all, even $5, can buy a couple of USB drives to help someone, you know, transport their documents from the center to the library or something. Or... Like I mentioned before, a portable power bank so that their phone doesn't die on them when they're commuting or, you know, little little things like that. It doesn't take much to make a big difference. Um, they can also donate used technology if you have old phones. Who doesn't? Or an old <laughs> laptop or something. I feel like even though I work for power on, I feel like I still have stuff at home. 
um, that's something that we will accept and we'll make sure it's responsibly recycled. And then the sales from the precious metals and things like that help us fund the program. So if you're interested in donating technology or making a monetary donation, that information is on powerandprogram.org. And I think we strongly, on the tech donations, we strongly want to encourage, just remind people that sending sending printers and yes. large tube TVs and um, those are very expensive to ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also do not, unfortunately, have a lot of value to them, even with the parts on the inside. Um, and so it actually ends up taking a lot to get that sub process more than it does for the actual donation. Right. Um, so basically sh- those things usually will cost us money. Yeah. So while we appreciate that people are trying to recycle them responsibly, we recommend maybe looking for um, your city, your town's local electronic waste day yes. or seeing if there's other places in your area that can recycle them. Um, Cause we, it just ends up um, actually being a hindrance to us rather than helping. So yeah, it can really, it really does take a lot of resources to recycle that stuff. So we appreciate it, but those large printers and stuff, we all know and we all have them. They're big, they're huge, they're heavy, they're expensive to ship. So um, you can always reach out to us and we'll help, try to help you find a location if you can't find one on your own. Um, cell phones, uh, laptops, tablets, things with memory. The good thing is that we, uh, all of our facilities work with the highest standards of erasing data. And so if you've been holding on to those tablets and laptops and cell phones for a long time because you're just afraid that they, you need the data erased and you want to absolutely make sure that it's completely gone, um, that is what we can do. Yep. Um, and we completely wipe that stuff. So, But if you have any questions about tech donations, just reach out to us. Yeah. And we also have, um, if you're a company looking to do maybe something for your employees to bring in their used cell phones or something and have a little environmental responsibility day or something and just, you know, a way to engage your employees, we can also work with you on that. Um, or if you're just a small person a small person you know what i mean a person who wants to do something like that on their own and collect it with your friends that's great too um so we always appreciate if people want to collect in their community or with their group of friends or as you know a kid's birthday party you have all the parents bring their own phones i don't know i mean and as someone that used to work for a large company um you know i think we're always we were always looking for ways to engage our community things that were uh, a natural fit for us so if your company has an lgbt erg or a green erg employee resource group for those people that aren't what aren't sure what erg means um those are great opportunities and we will engage with companies to do uh large drives uh again completely secure we transport everything we take mm-hmm. care of everything from beginning to end um and so it's a great way for employees to feel like they are engaged in something and giving back to the communities that they care about the causes they care about great for to see their companies giving back to a cause and a company or an organization or a community that they care about um so there's a lot of upside and benefits to that and we're really pushing that for the summer and into the fall so yeah um definitely excited about that yeah Oh, um, and then obviously poweronprogram.org. Yeah, if you're a center looking for technology, um, check out the application on poweronprogram.org. If you have questions, you can shoot us a message, but it should have everything about eligibility. If you're curious if your organization qualifies, check the application. You probably qualify if you're a United States-based nonprofit who (laughs) primarily works with the LGBTQ plus population. That's we try and keep it broad. So, yeah. So we hope you apply and come to our webinar and check out poweronprogram.org for more info. 
And uh, you just want to thank you very much to Ellie, who has for the last three or four years, really two or three years, pushed like two and a half, two and a half years. Really, <laughs> it feels like longer. It feels huh? like a long time. Has really um, helped make this program an amazing program. Uh, we've gone through several iterations. She's definitely like the one who knows. The ins and outs uh, probably knows more about recycling than she's ever wanted to in her life. Oh my god, and more about shipping pallets. I never <laughs> thought that was in my job description, but I can tell you how to ship a limited truckload shipment across the country if you need. Please don't ask me how to do that, though. I know how, but I don't want to talk about it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been uh, LGBT Tech's Deeper Dive on Power On. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we hope that she'll join us next time. See you later. Bye.